Trevor and I were saying on the way here, we were um, we were actually talking to Roger and Olive on, on Friday about uh, where what God wants to follow and what he wants our worship to look like and, and these sort of things. And uh, one of the things that is, is quite a challenge at the moment is there aren't that many new praise songs. The church seems to have gone very anthemic and uh, kind of, um, what's the word, deep. And I don't have a problem with deep, but the word of God says you enter his gates with thanksgiving, you enter his courts with praise. And, uh, and whilst I can kind of understand it, a lot of what we see and uh, experience of the, the kind of worship world out there, it's kind of conference-based. And uh, it's often from places that have a school of ministry attached to the church, where they worship different ways during the week. And we have, a, we have a dynamic here where we have to deal with kids and all the rest of it. So, and, and we were coming to church this morning, and I was, I was playing a song that um, I'd intended to use during the week at the conference I was speaking at, and it didn't quite happen how I'd planned. Um, but it was rest on us, and we were listening to this in the car, going, that would be a really good one to do this morning. Or to open the services with. And there was Joe when we came in practicing it. And it's so important that we, when we have songs like that, we actually don't just sing them, but we pray them. Because we want the Holy Spirit to rest on us. We want the Holy Spirit to move in this place. And, and so that's why it's really important that we kind of are all here to worship. That's why, you know, corporately, there's something happens in worship that doesn't happen in the private place, in the secret place. And so we want to keep praying that. And um, one of the things I'm praying for at the moment, and I don't want anybody to see this as a negative, I just think it's, it's something that is actually a battle in this, in this moment in time, is a rediscovering of a joy and hunger in worship. Yeah. And, you know, for all the things we, we think about, I think the last four or five years, maybe less, you know, all the stuff that's happened, we, we don't carry that same joy and, and hunger in worship. And so we, I, I'm praying that as a church we rediscover that. I can't do anything about anybody else, but I'm praying that we get it. And uh, we get excited about worship and we, we, we want to kind of really go for it. Um, because there is a major difference in pursuing the presence of God and doing church. And we're here to pursue the presence of God. We're here to uh, minister in, and speak and lay hands on in the anointing. And so it kind of needs all of us. And it needs all of us to go for it. Yeah. Um, last week I was talking and I started talking about Psalm 91. And I said, well, I'll have to continue this week. Because actually I only got halfway through the first verse. Which is even good for me. <laughs> it's a bit of a record only to do half a verse for a preach. Uh, so I wanted to carry on from that this morning. And 
having done that preamble, the reason I did that preamble is this, this psalm is all, all about what life is like in the presence of God. What happens when we are in the secret place with him? When, when we set aside time to dwell and wait upon him. And a lot of us, uh, over the years, have tried to get Psalm 91 to work for us by just sticking it on our door or on our fridge or whatever and repeating it regularly and speaking it out and in, in, in some sort of idea that, that all the promises would then come to us and be effective. And then some people get quite frustrated because it's not quite happening for them. And the reason for that is that we, you can't take this psalm as just a list of promises because they are conditional. And they're conditional for those who dwell with God. It only applies for those who are in that place. And I'll, I'll just go to Psalm 91. And we'll just uh, pick it up where I left it off last week. Here we go. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. That's the qualifier. That's the condition. And, and some people kind of don't really understand that or don't get that because they think, well, you know, I thought... I thought the covenant that we have doesn't have conditions with it. I thought it was just all, all grace and, and we just got everything by believing it and speaking it. Well, no. The covenant, the old covenant got replaced by a new covenant which is, called, which is about relationship. And so the, the, the new covenant promises work by entering in more deeper and deeper into that relationship. And that's what I'm going to explain this morning, how this works in Psalm 91. So that's the condition. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And dwelling is different to visiting. Dwelling is different to just turning up at church either every week or on the odd occasion and thinking that's what Jesus is asking of you. Jesus didn't die and sacrifice himself so we could go to heaven. That's only part of it. Jesus died and sacrificed himself so that we could know him. And so we the the what this, this psalm is saying is that we need to dwell in the secret place of the Most High to experience life in his presence. Jesus died to open up the way so we could live in his presence, and now he wants us to experience it. But we've kind of done it like a superficial level of memorizing all the promises and just, just speaking them out and speaking them out. And then when they don't work, somebody will turn around to you and say, you haven't got enough faith. And you go, well, actually, I believe these promises. Why have I not got enough faith? And James turns around, you know, in the book of James, and he says, guys, even the devil believes all the promises, but they don't work for him either. There's, there's kind of a mental ascent, a, a kind of rote way of doing things that excludes relationship. 
And under a covenant, a new covenant like we have, you can't exclude relationship. And, and we kind of really need to hear this. I, I don't know many people who are talking about this, and that's a really sad thing. And throughout my entire Christian walk, I've heard very, very few people ever even touch on this sort of stuff. And yet, this is the purpose of salvation, is to know him. The purpose of salvation is to encounter him in a real way so you know he's there. A very real experience of Jesus in your life on an ongoing basis through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes to take of what is Jesus is and show it to us. And so that, that's the thing. And so we, we dwell, we don't just visit. And dwelling means that you actually live your life from that place. And so, the most common way we experience being in that place, we associate it with, well, I call it the practice of his presence. But most people just say it's prayer. Now, this is why we need to be really careful, because there's lots of things, ideas about what prayer is from having lists of things, which we all know is wrong, but we still do it anyway. It's not wrong to have a list. It's wrong to make that the entire contents of your prayer life. Uh, to just, like, let's just storm the gates of heaven to make something happen around here. There's certain words that the Bible has for that, and they're important, like supplication, like petition, like intercession. But when the Bible uses the word prayer... It's actually talking about the, the, the heart connection that we have with Jesus and the Father. It's talking about a turning of our heart, a turning of our affections to Jesus, drawing near to him so he draws near to us. And, and prayer is the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life, not our flesh. So... To the extent we just do prayer, it's not really prayer. Prayer is the activity of the Holy Spirit who is stirring our heart to communicate and experience and encounter Jesus in the way that says, I want to know your heart, show me your heart, and then I can follow it and do it and live from that place. That's prayer. And, and, and so that's what this, this sermon Oh, but sorry, this psalm he's talking about. And you have to build a history with God in that secret place. It, it's kind of, it needs for us to grow and develop into something that is part of our life. So that's where I got to last week. So he dwells in the secret place of the Most High. By the way, I'm going to attempt to get to verse 2 by the end of this week. He dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the secret place is the place where Jesus is. It's the place where the Father is. It's the place where the Holy Spirit 
who is one with your spirit, is connecting you to the reality of the presence of heaven. And if that doesn't get you excited, you have to ask why. Honestly, I'm not excited about prayer if prayer is a list of things and it's all about storming the gates of heaven to try and make something happen. I am really excited when Jesus walks in the room when I'm praying and the whole place just goes electric. Do I see him visibly? I know I don't. I know he's in the room though. I can feel him. I can hear his voice. It's like, not, not audible, but I can hear his voice and it's, it's like thunderous in my heart sometimes. And so... Here's what I want you to see, and it's absolutely crucial we understand this so that we can be part of the coming revival that we're going to see in this land. I know I've said it before. We're either going to see the biggest revival we've ever seen in this land or Jesus is coming back because there is no other way to turn this nation around. So watch this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Did you get it? What he just said. I don't blame you if you didn't, because I didn't get it for years. I never saw this before until the Holy Spirit had me studying Psalm 91 about three or four months ago. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Have you ever wondered how all those miracles happened after Jesus had gone? Because some of them are pretty strange, aren't they? I can see you st still haven't quite woken up to what I'm saying. So I'll say it again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. There is a result of dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, and that's the abiding of the shadow of the Almighty in your life. This is why Christianity can sometimes seem so powerless. Because there's no abiding of the shadow of the Most High upon us. When Jesus told the uh, disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit, they were already born again. He breathed his Spirit into them. But he said, you're not ready, even on that basis, to go and do what needs to be done for the kingdom and to see the things that I've told you you can see because you need the Holy Spirit to rest upon you. And, and, and so, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you'll be my witnesses. So there's not just an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there's an uponing. And part of the thing is that we've, we've limited this thing called baptism in the Spirit down to us getting more enthusiastic and having a few gifts of the Spirit. When actually in its fullness, 
It's about the shadow of the Most High resting upon us. You can see this in Jesus' ministry. And I'm just going to go, go through it slowly so we get it. Because this is absolutely amazing. It's just so powerful. And, and it, when you realize how powerful it is, you'll want it. But there's no shortcut to get in there. You should have got that from last week. But here, here we go. So Jesus has been told of a problem. He's on his way to solve a problem. Uh, somebody who's ill. And he's walking around. And loads of crowds are pressing in upon him. You remember that story? And the, he's getting bustled. And it's like, it's like paparazzi and autograph hunters of, of, of 2,000 years ago. They're all, all wanting a piece of Jesus. And this woman comes and she comes and pushes her way through. I don't know how she got through. She shouldn't have been doing it. The woman with the hemorrhage of blood. And, and she gets through and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and she gets healed. Do you remember that story? Yeah. And often we uh, focus on the hunger and desire of the woman to take hold of her healing. That's important. But we can sometimes miss that something actually happened to Jesus as well. Because Jesus describes it. He says, who touched me? Now, in the middle of a rugger scrum type paparazzi crowd, how do, you, how do you know anybody touched you? Everybody's touching you. You know, I, I don't know how good, how good bouncers the disciples were, but people were getting to Jesus. And... He says, who touched me? And it said, because he felt power flow out of him. And so Jesus was aware of the power that was resting in his life. So much so that he knew when somebody made a demand on that power. Whenever you see Jesus do a major miracle, if you, you look at it, you will find that he has been for hours up a mountain or on a plain or in a garden somewhere, pray, plain, flatland, Roger, like around here, plains, <laughs> not hills. He's either up a mountain on a flat bit of land or in a garden somewhere praying with his father for most of the night. You know, when Jesus walks on water, he spent nine hours praying up a hill next to the lake. He's not summoning up power. He's just in the presence of his Father. You see, Jesus was abiding in the presence of the Father, and as a result, power was flowing through him. And, you know, when you start to experience life in his presence, one, one of the things you find, and I'm finding, is he wakes you up in the middle of the night and, and tells you things. And you kind of have to notice it. It happens, I don't know, not, not regularly, but every so often to me. And it, it's kind of like, you kind of have to cotton on. It's not because you're just having a bad night's sleep. The Holy Spirit actually wants to talk to you and tell you something. 
And then he wants you to go and write it down or, or whatever. But in all of this, you find that when you walk with Jesus, he's going to do something. And you might not like to hear this. But when you walk with Jesus, he's going to interrupt every plan that you have for your life right now and tell you what his plan is instead. And then he's going to ask you to follow him. We are, to all intents and purposes, compared to the disciples and compared to great men and women of God who have gone before, powerless. And it's because we have been so intent on, God's, on our plans for our life and getting our life to work for us. And so we don't experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then we end up wondering, like, what's the point of all this Christianity? God's not doing what I wanted him to anyway, and it's just hard work. Because we missed the point. The point of Christianity is to know Jesus and to know the Father. And you can only do that through the Holy Spirit and through the Word. You know, when you're walking with Jesus, people will catch your attention and you'll just go, like you'll be sitting in a room like this, like, let's just imagine this is a coffee shop and you'll be looking around in mine, and you'll look around and just something about somebody will absolutely bug you. Yeah. And you've got to be aware the Holy Spirit wants, you, he wants to talk to you about that. Your attention keeps getting drawn to the same person. Holy Spirit, what is it? What do you want me to do? And that's what life in his presence is like. And you can't just do that. You can't just go out one day and decide I'm going to sit in a coffee shop and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to tell me about people. Sometimes through his grace, he will. But it's not consistent enough. This, this was happening to the disciples all the time. So here we go. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide... And that shall abide, it's in the continuous tense. It's a, it's a continually living under the shadow of the Almighty. So if we dwell in the secret place, if, if that's important to us, and, and we, we, we wait on him, and we take our time, and, and it could be weeks, it could be months, but if we dwell in the secret place, and, and we are in his presence, then his presence abides in us, uh, upon us continuously. Who wants to live like that? You see, that's how they were living. That's how most of the civilized world turned to Christ and became Christianized in, in just over 100 years after Jesus had gone. Because there's that power. And that's, that's how revivals happen. When, when a small group of people get a handle on this and the Holy Spirit sets them on fire and they impart that fire to others. That's how revivals start. But it starts in the secret place with one or two or a few people. There's never been a revival started. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but there's never ever been a revival started in a big church. Zero revivals ever started in the big church. Every revival of the past four or five hundred years has started with a few men and women of God who were prepared to do anything to reach Jesus. 
in a real way. So here's how it works. The secret place births the abiding place. The secret place births the abiding place. And it's not you that's abiding. We've read this psalm the wrong way around for a long time. It's not you that's abiding. It's the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, resting upon you. It's abiding on you. So your secret place, your dwelling place with him, births his abiding upon you. And when he's abiding on you, you'll carry him and things will start to happen. Let me show you this, an example that's not Jesus, because it, it really is so easy in our heads, even when we know that's the wrong answer, to say, yeah, but that was Jesus. And, and dismiss it and think, well, what happened for me? That was Jesus. Well, here's, here's a bunch of apostles and, and disciples. One of the things that I know about the disciples is although they do these amazing things after Jesus has ascended into heaven, before that, they had a lot of really big fails. They would just, like, you look at some of the things and you think, how could they be so stupid? And then I think, how can I be so stupid? And so in Acts, here, here's what we see. Acts 5, 12, 16. Now, one of the things that you need to uh, appreciate the, about this is that the disciples and the, now let's call them the apostles, plus, plus them around them, have taken a decision that they would uh, appoint people to do uh, the admin tasks in the church and look after the widows and, and the poor and, and the rest of it. And they would demote themselves to study of the word and prayer. So they're abiding, uh, dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. That's, that's their commitment. We're going to get into the word and we're going to dwell in the presence of God. And we, we, we're going to carry on talking to Jesus and hearing his voice like we did when he was here. The book of Acts starts with this statement. In the first book, I told you, dear Theophilus, all about what Jesus began to do when he was on the earth. And the Acts of the Apostles are a continuation of what Jesus is doing. How is he doing it? Because his presence is resting upon the disciples. And here's what happens. Acts 5 12 to 16. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And be believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They're having a revival, okay? So they brought the sick out onto the streets and laid them on beds and couches. Then at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall upon them, some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities, Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed without exception. So we've got this incredible thing happening that people aren't even getting to the apostles, they're getting to handkerchiefs and sheets that have been with the apostles, and, and, and Peter, whenever he walks down the street, P 
people aren't trying to grab hold of people, Peter, they probably were as well, but they were kind of working on the principle, if I can just get any shadow, I'm going to get healed. And they did. How many people has your shadow healed? Just a question. I can say zero for me. What's the shadow that's doing the healing? The shadow of the, that is doing the healing is those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's his shadow. It's not Peter's shadow that's doing the healing. It's his shadow. And it's dwelling with Peter because Peter's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Are we getting this now? The point is, there's a bigger shadow than Peter's shadow on the scene. Yeah. My shadow's never healed anybody, but the shadow of the Most High can heal anybody. So here's a, here's a question that we kind of need to get our heads around. If you've been around places where the Holy Spirit is, and the anointing of God is, and there's a move of God, a revival. And, and people are just after that. Then we enjoy the presence of God. There's, there's something different about being in the presence of God, and we enjoy it. And, and so when he turns up, we love it. And that's fantastic. But right now, my question is, does he enjoy my company? I'm enjoying his presence. I'm enjoying his presence when he turns up in meetings. I'm enjoying him, uh, you know, turning up when I'm praying. But does he enjoy my company? Because this is a relationship, and it's a two-way relationship, and I want to love him as much as he loves me. I want to please him as much as he pleases me. Just a, a kind of aside, that word abide, when it says his, his shadow will abide upon you, that word abide, it actually means to remain all night or to stay permanently, having moved in. That's not just a visiting. It's not even a visitation. It's the presence of God in a life. Catherine Kuhlman said this, the Holy Spirit was, and was the secret of Jesus' ministry and is the secret of our ministry. Jesus trusted in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit also trusted Jesus. I want to be one he trusts. And she said, that is why the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus. That is why the Holy Spirit remained on the apostles. And that is why the Holy Spirit remains on any life. Because he can trust them. What can he trust you with? He can trust you that your heart is sold out for him. And... You want to do what you hear him ask. 
But most importantly, having done what you hear him ask, and you see the miracles, he's got to get the glory. The Holy Spirit will only abide and move in those whose lives follow what he asks and give Jesus the glory. He will not stay when we have the glory. And he will not be there when we're not hearing his voice and doing what he asks. start of Jesus' ministry, he, he goes in the, into the water and he's baptized by John. And you might remember that John says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. So it's visible. Visible presence of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and the Holy Spirit remained on him. Why did the Holy Spirit remain on Jesus? Why did he not like come and go? Why did he remain on Jesus? Because Jesus abided continually with the Holy Spirit and with the Father. There was no break in um, that communion between them. So, let's go on from there. What's abiding look like? What's it, what's it look like in our lives? Well, that's kind of an easy one, and we, we know the, the, the familiar passages. We just kind of quite probably haven't really got a handle on it being reality in our life yet. John 15, 4 to 5. Abide in me, and I in you. You getting the theme? You abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, abide in me and I'm going to abide in you, bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. And then verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's, that's a no limits promise. It has two conditions. You abide in me and my words or what I ask you to do abides in you. This is life in his presence. If you keep my commandments, this is verse 10, you will abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and I abided in his love. If you live a life where you want to do what I've asked and you do it, you'll be like my relationship was with my father and whatever you ask, we're going to do it. How cool is that? I wonder, like, why, can't, why do we not walk on water? Why do we not multiply food? Why do we not see all these things that Jesus said, did? 
He says, you do these things, you ask what you want and I'll do it. It's absolutely incredible, this. So this abiding life is a life of awareness of God, um, knowing what he's speaking to you and following through on that. So we've got these two things, dwelling in the secret place and his shadow abiding on us, and that unlocks the rest of Psalm 91. There you are, I've done a whole verse. I'm just going to do a little bit more this morning. Note those two things down. Dwelling in the secret place. Dwelling in the secret place. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Almighty will, shall abide under the shadow of his wing. So we've got dwelling in the secret place produces abiding under the shadow. And they unlock the rest of Psalm 91. Why is this important? It's always been important, but it's much more important now. Because we are heading towards the last days. And to live in the last days, we need to live like this. Or we're just going to be all at sea. I don't know if any of you have ever read some things or you've, you've heard stuff about what happens in the last days. But honestly, the way we live our lives ain't going to cut it now. <laughs> Just being a Christian isn't going to cut it. We won't know what to do. We won't know what's coming. We won't know how to respond. So we've got this, this beautiful picture of living in the presence of God. And it's only after we've got that in our head, we can move on to the next statement. So go back to Psalm 91, and we get the next bit. By the way, it does speed up. I am actually going to do the whole of Psalm 91, but it's not this slowly. Because if you get this, you get the rest. He who gets the sun gets everything. Psalm 91. He dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. I guess you've all heard that verse, or most of you've heard that verse on multiple occasions. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him I will trust. And so we say of the Lord, you are my fortress, in you I trust. But it doesn't work without the first verse. Do we get this? It's part of the lifestyle of living in the presence. Too often we cut to the saying without the first bit. Now, I want to be really careful here. It is incredibly important what you say. What, you co what comes out of your mouth is incredibly important. Yeah. Jesus said, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You actually got saved by speaking it out. 
Those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe in his heart that he was raised from the dead. They get saved. They're the ones that get saved. Speaking it out is incredibly important. For every miracle you see Jesus do, in terms of healing or deliverance or whatever, he speaks. And it's really important that we speak what God's given us to speak, and we speak only the word of God. That means we have to know the word of God. Otherwise, we'll end up just speaking the stuff of the enemy and the stuff of the world. And life and death is in the power of the tongue. So it's really important. Here's the point I'm making. Saying is important. But it's not the key. It's the mechanism. You've got to have the key in the lock before the mechanism will work properly. So speaking is important, but it's not the, it's not the thing that makes the miracles happen. It's not the thing that, that when we speak, brings conviction in the room. It's not the thing that causes people to be delivered. It's the mechanism by which the power is delivered. It's the mechanism by which the shadow moves. Do we get this? This is just incredible stuff. This is what people who had these amazing ministries, like Orla Roberts, like Catherine Kuhlman, like Charles Finney, this is what they understood. The more I, I kind of see this and understand this, what have we been doing for the last 50 years in the church, in the body of Christ? What have we been talking about? Your saying carries power when it flows from a life of abiding. Otherwise, it carries no power. Now, because we all bide to some extent as believers, things happen. But there should be more happening. This is where I just want to kind of get to, and I'll finish on this this week. There is an order in the way God does things. In Genesis chapter 1, just to show you that the order is right through the Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to go very far. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Creation begins. And we, we find out from the Gospel of John that, that Jesus is there as well. So they're all there. But there's an order to things. So we see the, hov the, the Holy Spirit, what does mine say? Fluttering, hovering, hovering over the waters. I used to be in a youth group and somebody just didn't get that verse at all because they thought it said hoovering. <laughs> Why is the Holy Spirit hoovering? What's she cleaning? No, it's hovering. Spirit was hovering over the waters. What does that word hovering mean? Well, it doesn't mean cleaning. It means to flutter, to move over the surface and cause to shake and change. So the Holy Spirit is moving. And God identifies things that are not how he wants them to be. It says the earth was formless and void and dark. And God knows how to change that. He speaks because the Holy Spirit's already moving and present. And the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, causes the creation of light. And that, that's the pattern you see right through So the Holy Spirit must be moving first and then we speak like God spoke once the Holy Spirit is moving upon our life. And that's the pattern we see in Psalm 91. I haven't got time to go into it now, but you, you see that pattern all the time. There's actually a, a verse, I think it's in Corinthians, and it talks about that there's different facets of the way God works is there's the um, oh, I can't remember what, exactly what it says, but it talks about there's different administrations, different ministrations, and different authorities, and it and it talks about the authorities that are linked to God, the administrations, the command and organization is linked to Jesus, and the power. The manifestations is linked to the Holy Spirit. So they, each of the Godhead has a specific role. And to have that in our life, the Holy Spirit has to be resting on our life. Now, look at this. When we go back to Psalm 91... Are you getting this? Are you enjoying this? Are you getting something out of it? Yeah. Psalm 91. He dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. I, I want you to see this. It's, it's so important. I will say of the Lord. Now, some of you might be looking at that verse and going, well, mine doesn't say that. 
Mine says, I will say to the Lord. A lot of new translations actually have this wrong. Because they're trying to make it easier for you to read. And actually in doing that, they've changed the meaning of the words. We are saying of the Lord. And that, 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 can, mean what, that can mean two things. It doesn't mean we are saying it to the Lord. God, I want you to be my refuge. In you I want to trust. Please come. Please rescue me. Please save me. Please make sure these bad things don't happen to me. That's not what it says. It's saying... Because I know what it's like to live in the presence of Jesus by and through the Holy Spirit, I will say of the Lord, I will say of the Lord. So I'm going to say it in two ways, and both of these are correct applications of this verse. I will say because I am speaking what the Lord gave me to say, it was of the Lord. Application number one. Application number two. I am only going to talk about the Lord. Yeah. What I speak is of the Lord. Here's the point. If you spend time with the Lord, you will talk about the Lord. If someone spends time with Jesus, their speech and what they're saying will come from and be moved by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, who is doing the moving in you, will make sure that he is glorifying Jesus in what you say. That's his job. And just to remind you that verse... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We talk about what's in our heart. So for our words to carry anointing, they have to come from the presence. That's why we can no longer in our generation settle for church that does great presentations and TED Talks. Do you know what TED Talk is? Let's be cool. You know, I once thought, in a fleeting moment, why don't I get some skinny jeans and I'll be a better pastor? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because I've got little fat legs. <laughs> skinny jeans ain't good. There's no anointing in skinny jeans... 100,000 pound PA systems, lights, flashy outfits, and little talks about how to make your life better. Guys, you can buy books at WH Smith about how to make your life better. They're probably better than you'll get at church. And what is more, they'll cost you less because you won't have to tithe. So if you just want your life to be better, go to WH Smith's. There's no anointing in it. There's no power. All we're doing is gathering people into fewer and fewer bigger churches. Whilst overall, the church-going population in the UK is in rapid decline. And we think we're doing great. It's not in rapid decline because there are people who are faithful. It's in rapid decline because we haven't focused on 
what it means to be people of the peasants and we don't move in any anointing. We've done the best churches man can build and it's not worked. And, and good on people. I, I'm all for lights actually. I'm, I'm all for a good sound system. It just takes a long time to set it up. Longer than we have. I, I, I don't have a problem with any of it. If it's not a substitute for the anointing. It's great. I, I love my lights. I think they're kind of cool. Why do I love the lights? It's not because they're flashy and they're great and it looks like a pop concert. I love the lights because it helps me, strangely, focus on Jesus. When a room's really bright, I, it's, I just find it a bit harder. That's a personal thing. Anyway, I got off the topic there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and I will do it. The same principle should be working in our life. So if 10 people spend time with the Lord and then 10 people experience the shadow of the Lord abiding on them consistently day after day, 10 people will come out 24-7 talking about the Lord. Because what's in your heart is what you speak. And so... What, what Jesus said and what this psalm is talking about is there is a, there is a sign, there is an a, um, indicator when somebody has been in the presence of the Lord. And so therefore, you can tell when people haven't been in the presence of the Lord. And what is that indicator? That indicator is they'll talk about anything except Jesus. And it'll be great, and it'll be Christian, and it'll be all churchy. But those who have been in the presence of the Lord will have met with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and they'll talk Jesus. So how do I know he's been in the presence of the Lord when I go to ministers' meetings, or go to talk conferences or whatever? I find out, I search out the people who want to talk about Jesus and not about the church. Because it's all about Jesus. It's about him getting the glory. It's about the, the Holy Spirit and the Father trusting us enough to rest upon us with the shadow of the Almighty so that Jesus gets the glory and not us. So if you want to know who's spending time with Jesus, listen for his name when people are talking. And if you hear it, it's a really good sign they've been with Jesus. So the message is Jesus. That's why Paul says, him we preach. The message is not a principle, it's a person. And it's the person we've met when nobody else was there. Amen? Let's stand. We'll, we'll carry on next week. We will finish Psalm 91 next week possibly <laughs> Father
I ask you to forgive me for all the time I filled up with other stuff and not understood about being with you. I ask you to forgive me that my life has become all about my goals and not yours. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you paid the price for that. And Jesus, I want to know you. I, I, I want to have in my life these things that your word says I can have. You said I could come into your presence and I could know you and I could hear your voice and that you would dwell with me and that your shadow would rest upon me. And that's what I want for my life. But Jesus, I also want to be one who you can trust. Trust to give you the glory. So I ask you to work on my heart. I give you permission to work on my heart. Change me. Stir a fire in me, a passion for you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts. Holy Spirit, start to uh, stir up and, and put your finger on anything that will get in the way of us knowing Jesus and the Father. Yeah. And Holy Spirit, I just thank you. I thank you that you are such a, a gentle, kind, faithful friend. And I ask that we would know you, we would desire your presence. And that we would be people who have a passion to be in that place of abiding with you. Dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. Amen. Amen.